Well, I want to welcome you again, especially those uh, who've been out of town all week. I've enjoyed seeing all your pictures on Facebook of all the places you've been for spring break. I, I'll tell you, though, if you weren't here, you missed it because we, we had all four seasons over the course of the last week. So we had fall, we had summer, we had winter, we had spring. It's, it's been everything around here. Uh, but uh, again, we're excited that, that you are here uh, as we continue uh, this series, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, there is a blue Bible in the seat pocket in front of you. You'll find Luke chapter 9 on page 1610. Uh, We are on a journey together uh, through the season of Lent and through the gospel of Luke. Uh, And one of the things that we provide with each and every one of our series is a resource called First 15. Uh, First 15 is a a devotional resource to enable you to spend the first 15 minutes of your day investing in your relationship with God. And I want to show you just just real quickly the beginning of the prayer that was offered uh, at the end of the two Tuesday reading this last week. Uh, it, it began in this way. Actually, I want to tell you that first. I forgot about this. So, as you're finding Luke chapter 9, the other thing I want you to, uh, to write down in your bulletin, just in case you get an emergency phone call and you have to leave, and I want you to get something out of the message. So, faith is a journey without maps. That's what we're going to talk about today. See, I missed this one last night, so I can't… Anyways. All right. So, The prayer was this, Almighty God, awaken in us a fascination with Jesus. I want you to think about that. That's really the heart of what this series and what this journey is all about. You may be reading through the Gospel of Luke for the very first time. I know many of you are reading through it and and you have done so many times before. But this is what we want to have happen in us as we move through the the Gospel of Luke. We want God to awaken in us a, a perhaps renewed sense of fascination with Jesus, that we might see something maybe we've never seen before, hear something we've never heard before, that we might understand the story in a, in a deeper way, respond to it in a fuller way, that we might know Christ more tomorrow than we do today because of the journey that we are taking through the gospel of, of Luke, the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We've talked about reading, hearing, and sharing. That's what this series is about. We are reading the gospel. Uh, We are hearing the story of the gospel and we're sharing the gospel together. So this last week, uh, if you are reading along, you read beginning in Luke chapter 7 verse 18, that was Monday, and you finished yesterday at Luke chapter 10 verses 24. Today I'm going to share with you Luke 9, 28 through 36. This is the moment often referred to as the transfiguration. You'll understand why in just a moment. And then if you are participating in a small group or a Sunday school class going through the video curriculum that we've put together, you're going to be looking at Luke 8, 26 through 39. So the whole idea is immersing ourselves in this story that we might be uh, renewed in our fascination with Jesus and understanding who he calls us to be, knowing Christ more tomorrow than we do today. So uh, we are beginning today uh, with, uh, or we're looking today at Luke 9, 28 through 36. Some of you may not have joined us yet on this journey of reading through the Gospel of Luke. You can start tomorrow at Luke 10, 25. Uh, but today we're going to look at Luke 9. But I want to give, for those of you who haven't read, I want to give you a sense of what's happening in the story leading up to this moment uh, that I'm going to read to you uh, from uh, the 28th verse of, of chapter 9. So if you go back to chapter 7, we 
see again a character that we met very early on in the gospel named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's role was to prepare the way for the Messiah. We talked about last week that the Messiah was someone that the people had waited for hundreds of years to receive. And so there was a lot of expectations of who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. And John came to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. But what we find in in chapter 7 is that just, again, all these expectations were created. Jesus often confounded those expectations. He, He didn't quite fit the mold of what people thought the Messiah was going to do. And so many people were confused. Many people were I'm not quite sure about this. And there were those who were the adversaries of Jesus because they just couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that this was the Messiah here coming among them. And what we find in chapter 7 is that John himself, the man who prepared the way for Jesus, was at the very least confused by what was happening in the early ministry of Jesus. And so he sends messengers to Jesus to say, are you the one? Now, he sends this message from prison. He's in prison for what he has done to prepare the way for the Messiah. So it's sort of like this desperation note, like, did I get it right? Like, is this, are you the one? Because if not, I messed up. I'm in prison. I, I finished my ministry. And Jesus responds by sharing with John the words of Isaiah. Isaiah, who had said, this is what the Messiah will do. Jesus says, go tell John that the blind see, that the lame are healed, that, that these things, these expectations from the prophet, these are being fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. When you get to chapter 8, Jesus tells the story of the, par- the parable of the sower uh, and the seed, four types of soil, good soil and hardened soil and soil filled with thorns and, and soil that is the rocky soil. And of course, what we see is that this is, what's hap- this is what's happening in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the sower. He is scattering the seed. He is sharing the good news. And some of the people are receiving it. They're, they're like the good soil. That, that, that seed is taking root. It's growing. It's flourishing. But, but some, some people are like the hardened path. And the soil is not taking root. The, those who are leaning towards rejecting him as, as the Messiah. Some are choked off by the worries of the world. Those are the, the, the seeds scattered among the thorns. There is this mixed response to Jesus. But in the rest of chapter 8, what we see are some miraculous moments. Jesus is with the disciples in a boat uh, traveling across the Sea of Galilee. A storm comes up and Jesus calms the storm. And after Jesus calms the storm, the disciples respond in this way. This is the literal Greek translation. They say, wow, cool. After that, Jesus heals three people in succession. He heals a demon-possessed man. He heals a a woman who has been subject to an illness for many, many years. And he raises from the dead uh, the daughter of Jairus, the the synagogue leader, a, a young girl who had recently died from a sudden illness. The rumors about who Jesus is and what he has come to do begin to swirl and spread and they gain momentum in in two additional acts. Jesus first sends his disciples out into surrounding villages to spread the word. And in response to that, he has over 5,000 people come to hear him teach. And there on the hillside, Jesus does one of the miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels. He, with five loaves of bread and two fish, he feeds over 5,000 people. And it's at that point that Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them this question. This is chapter 9, verse 18. 
what's the report? What are the people saying about me? And they say, well, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of rumors out there. Everybody's talking about it. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say uh, Moses. Some say you're one of the prophets. Return from the dead. And then he asks them this question. He says, well, what about you? What do you think's going on? <laughs> Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are God's Messiah. And this is the point where if you're just reading along, you should be thinking, I mean, you're just ready for Jesus to like slow clap Peter, like good, you got it, master student. You, you can kind of sense that the disciples are like, did he get it right? Huh? You know, is Jesus going to affirm what we think that he is? But look at what Jesus does instead. Luke 9, beginning with verse 22. This is what Jesus says in response to this proclamation that he is God's Messiah. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, can you sense the smiles fading? Like the energy has just been sucked out of the room. Like, wow, Jesus is a downer. Man, wow. I mean, this is this moment when you expect celebration. And how does Jesus respond? For the first time, he shares this prediction. This is how my life will end. And that leads right into our passage for today. Eight days later, uh, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying... The appearance of his face changed. That's why this is referred to as the transfiguration. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah. Now, if you haven't read this part of the Bible, okay, just know that these two guys are a big deal, okay? They are the heroes of everything, uh, some of the heroes of everything that has come before uh, Jesus. They appear, two men, Moses and Elijah, appear in glorious splendor and they talked with Jesus, well, what are they talking about? Verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. The other way, by the way, that you can translate that word departure, maybe a familiar word to you, the word would be exodus. They spoke about his exodus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment uh, in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, you might underline these next four words, they saw his glory. In other words, for just a moment, the glory of God that had been hidden in the human frame of Jesus is fully revealed to them. They get to see it with their own eyes. And they see the men who are standing there with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, listen to what Peter says in response to this magnificent moment on this mountain. He, he in what you can imagine is a little bit of panic, says in response to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. This is really great. 
Let us put up three shelters, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. Let's build a retreat center. I mean, right here. Let's just spend some time. I'll put Moses over here. Elijah, you'll have a good spot. Let's just stay right here. And, and don't you love what Luke adds there as just kind of a note? Uh, and speaking about Peter, he says, he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's a magnificent moment. But while he was still speaking, while Peter was speaking, A cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The moment passes. The disciples kept this to themselves, and they did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen, because how do you explain the unexplainable? So Jesus comes down the mountain, and when he gets to the bottom of the mountain, He finds his disciples with a young boy, a demon-possessed boy. They are trying to cast out the demons, but they can't. And Jesus, in what you kind of sense is a little bit despair, is just like, oh gosh, these people, what am I? And he sets the boy, he sets the boy free. And then in verse 44, look what Jesus does. For the second time, he predicts how his life will end And then the last thing I want to point out to you is verse 51 of chapter 9. This is after the first prediction. This is after the transfiguration. This is after speaking with Moses and Elijah about his departure, which he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. This is after predicting for the second time. Luke 9 verse 51 says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, if you've got your Bible with you, you might underline verse 51, and if you've got room in the margin, you might just write turning point, because this is a turning point in the Gospel of Luke. From this moment forward, everything that we will read about, everything that we will hear and share in this story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, everything that we will see happens as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It'll be several weeks till we get there. But everything you read, everything that Jesus will do, he will do as he is taking steps towards Jerusalem because he's made a decision. The literal translation is that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. And he has now started this journey of going to the place where he has already told his disciples he will meet his life's end right after the magnificence of the mountain experience Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem to the place where he goes to lay down his life if you're a, a, a part of our pastor's Bible study, we do that on Wednesday mornings, uh, you know that we, in studying the Gospel of John, came to a similar turning point uh, this week. John 6, verse 66. This is after what is described as a hard teaching that Jesus shares. This is the moment where things went from, this is a lot of fun, to maybe this isn't quite so fun anymore. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, this is how the, the disciples, not referring to the 12, but to those who had been sharing this time with Jesus, walking with him. This is, this is what John says about them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
In other words, the energy begins to diminish now. Because what Jesus has just expressed is something that has made people want to lean out a little bit and say, okay, I'm out. That's, this is not quite for me. I think I want to go home now. And right after this, verse 67, Jesus then turns to the 12, to the disciples that he has chosen, and he asks them this question. He says, do you want to go too? Do you want to leave me too? And look at what Peter says in response. He says, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now here's what I want you to notice. Did you notice that Peter didn't answer the question? (laughs) He didn't tell Jesus yes or no to the question, do you want to go? It's almost implied in what he says. You know, the answer is kind of (laughs) yes. But where else are we going to go? We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. And yeah, this is getting hard. But where else can we go? Wherever you go, Jesus, we're going to go. Because we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. So we come back to this idea that faith is a journey without maps. Faith does not begin after God provides you with a nice, slick color brochure of all the things that you are going to experience in your life with Him. It's not like picking out your best vacation spot. Faith, the promise of faith, you could say it this way, the promise of faith is a better life, but it is not an easy life. It is a life that is rich with blessing, but it is not a life that is absent of burden. And at this point in the story, after the magnificence of this moment, when Jesus makes the decision to head to Jerusalem, We dare not miss that if we really want to follow Jesus, if you really want to be his true disciple, there will come a time in your life where he will ask you to go somewhere that you do not want to go. He'll ask you to do something that you do not want to do. He will remind you of this radical and baffling call to take up a cross and follow him as he, each step he takes, draws closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. This is the place that he must go. This is the work that he must do. Jesus comes down from the mountain, and what does he find when he gets to the bottom of the mountain? He finds a broken world. He sees a young boy whose life has become a nightmare, and he knows that this boy needs him. He knows that these men who have followed him, they need him. He knows that all those who have come and they have eaten from the miraculous uh, serving of of the 5,000, that they all need him. He knew that you would need him. 
And because he knew these things, he makes a decision. I'm going to Jerusalem, not to allow anyone to take my life from me, but I go to Jerusalem to lay my life down. It is a better life, but it is not an easy life. When we were uh, in Israel a couple years ago, we got to go to a place that I'd never been to before. It's called the Mount of Precipice. Appreciate you not judging my hat. Thank you. This is right outside Nazareth. You may remember from Luke chapter 4, Jesus is taken to the mountain just outside Nazareth when he is rejected in the synagogue. This is that place. And as you can see from this image, it is a place that gives you a vantage point, a view that is just extraordinary. In fact, I think I'm remembering this correctly, that from the the Mount of Precipice, you can actually see way off in the distance the Mount of Transfiguration, where this moment took place, where Jesus met with Moses and Elijah. It's one of those places that you just, uh, you want to sit and you want to just take it in, which is what we did. We spent quite a bit of time there just just enjoying this incredible view of, of, of everything that you can see before you, this beautiful area in the northern uh, part of of Israel, Uh, just taking that, 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 that scene in. Uh, thinking about what a blessing it is to be there, to think about this is the place where Jesus lived out his days. This is the mountain where he was brought. There is the mountain where this, this magnificent moment took place. It was, a, it was a, an experience that's, that's beyond the capacity of words to describe. But faith really begins for us in places like this. Faith begins for us in moments like this, when, when we find ourselves experiencing a sense of comfort and security, and because of that, we're able to see a further horizon. We're able to look at our life in a different way. We're able to think about ourselves in a different way. We're able to think about what, what is the meaning of these days that I'm living out, all the things that we're experiencing. We begin to wonder, is there something else out there? Is there something I'm supposed to do? Is this just filling up space, this temporary existence that I have? Is is there something or someone out there? Faith begins in those moments when we quiet ourselves and we can see a picture of what our life is and, and in that quiet, perhaps here, or experience the Spirit moving in us and inviting us into a better life. These are moments that we treasure. These are moments that are sacred. And it is good that we treasure them. Because these are moments that change our lives forever. And when we have the chance to go back to the mountain, we have a chance to reconnect with that, that first moment. And to reconnect with the one that we met when we first encountered him on the mountain. Moments that we treasure, moments that we love, moments that we never, never want to forget. But there is a danger. And the danger is that we might fall so deeply in love with the comfort and the security and the magnificence of the mountain that you would miss 
the moment when the Messiah begins to move. And he says to us, it's time to go down into the valley. It's time to re-enter a broken world. It's time to see and experience and be reminded that there is a dramatic need all around you and I am sending you into the world to meet that need. A moment when the Messiah reminds us of that whole take up our cross and follow him thing when he says, it's time to go. It's time to return. It's time to follow me. It's time to go to Jerusalem. And though we are weeks away from that moment, here, after this incredible experience that leaves the disciples stunned, we find this question, do I love the Messiah enough to leave the mountain? Do I love the Messiah enough to follow him as he goes back into the valley? As he encounters a a young boy whose life is a nightmare, as he sees again the suffering and hurt and is reminded that there is a need for him to go to the place where he will lay down his life to set free the world. Do you love the Messiah or do you just love the mountain? Do you love the comfort and the security and the peace that you find in that place? Have you built yourself a beautiful, nice retreat center that the Messiah has moved from and he still bids you to come down into the valley and to follow him to the place where you must take up your cross and do what you do not want to do and give what you do not want to give and serve how you may not feel comfortable serving Go where you may not feel comfortable going. Do you love the Messiah or do you just love the mountain? Because here are these radical and baffling words. You cannot find life without losing it. And there is a cross for you and there is a cross for me. And we must leave the mountain. So what's your answer to the question? I know for many of you the answer is yes. Yes. Yes, I love the Messiah enough to leave the mountain. But where, but where is he calling me to go? I don't know. But he does. And so remember the words from the cloud. Remember what God says. This is my son. Listen to him. Follow him. Let him lead you. And so what I want to invite you to do as we pause here at this moment in the journey is to spend some time listening to Jesus, to what he would say to you of how he might lead you off the mountain back into the valley in your life. What would he say to you? Where would he call you? How would he lead you? So I want to invite you just to close your eyes and to spend some time with Jesus The answer is probably not going to come in the next 90 seconds. But at the very least, we can say to Jesus, I want to listen. Will you speak? Listen for the voice of Jesus.
What does it look like for you to leave the mountain? What does that look like when you think about your closest relationships? Is there a specific way that God might be calling you to respond with those you hold most dear? What does it mean for your ministry? What is that for you? Where is that place that you are serving and pouring out your life? What does that look like? What does that mean for us, for our church? Are there places that we are stuck on a mountain and we as a a family of faith need to go back into the valley? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would lead us. Even as we confess to you, Lord, we, we may not want to go where you would call us to go. And so, Lord, help us to lean into that, that beautiful expression of faith we see here in, in what Peter says. Help us to lean into our belief that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, you are the Holy One of God. And, and so wherever you take us, we, we want to go. We don't want to miss the chance, Lord. We don't want to miss the opportunities that you place before us to experience a better life. Help us, Lord, to not miss that in our desire for an easy one. And be with us as we continue this journey with you. Awaken in us, Lord a renewed fascination with who you are and who you have called us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.